Worship Connect Serve. That's our focus for the next two weeks. We also recorded a brief video in case you missed last week's sermon. It's available on YouTube, the podcast, all that stuff. But bottom line, Worship Connect Serve is how we glorify God and how we live out our discipleship. It's what disciples of Christ do. And our encouragement this week is to connect deeper, connect deeper. With that, let's read God's word. Hear now his holy, inerrant, and inspired word. First from Genesis 3, verse 11. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, flip many pages. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-7. through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. And then just one verse each from Romans 12 and Galatians 6, Romans 12, 10. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. And from Galatians 6, verse 10, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. Let's ask his blessing as we consider his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're good and what you do is good and your love for us never fails. Would you give us ears to hear all that you have to say to us, your people? We ask all this in Jesus' great name. Amen. I want you to care for the body of Christ more because God cares for and comforts you. Almost every pastor I know thinks the church needs to rebuild community after the past few years. A pandemic and hours of virtual meetings left us longing for something more, 
real relationships, real care and connection. And so if I wanted, I could make this whole sermon a how-to guide about ways to connect at Forest Gate. Then again, we're already encouraging that. Pastor Stephen, one of our elders, led a community group leaders training meeting on Monday. I could talk about all that. Or I could make you so hungry for community and connection that you'll do whatever you can to find it. The way to connect deeper is to care deeper by realizing the deep, deep love and care of Christ our Savior. Yes, we'll try to help connect you, but if you don't want to connect, then all the pathways and roadmaps and portals and other things like that are meaningless. Connect deeper, care deeper, and come to know the deep, deep care of Christ. Because God has given us all we need to connect and comfort others and to fill us back up to comfort some more. See the care of Christ this morning through five points. The first one is this. Our past and present separate us from God and others. Our past and present separate us from God and others. You see this in Genesis 3. Our past and present, they both tear at these connections we want. How do you see that? Well, I could talk about COVID, but let's not. Instead, let's go back to 2018, ancient history. When Ben Sass published a book, Sass is a Republican senator, who's a member of a PCA church. He's soon to become the president of the University of Florida. But his book was titled, Them, Why We Hate Each Other and How to Heal. Even then, he saw societal trends in, in media, in economics, and plenty of other places that were dividing us, polarizing us, exacerbating what he called epidemics of loneliness. Our present life is separating us. It's not uniting us. And those trends are not entirely new. No, iPhones didn't exist in Genesis 3. Pretty sure of that. But Apple did. The Apple. If indeed it was an apple that Adam and Eve ate. And after they ate it, what happens? Well, they fell into an estate of sin and misery, as our catechisms say. And then they, they ran. They hid from God. That didn't do much good because God is omniscient. He's omnipresent. And then God comes to them. He starts interrogating them to give Adam a chance to repent. That didn't happen so quickly, of course. If you look at Genesis 3, verses 11 and 12, it says, He, that's God, said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. The woman whom you gave me, it's her fault, it's your fault. Blame shifting, one of the many results of the fall of mankind. Sin and the shame of it, it separates man from God, and then it separates him from the helper fit for him. He throws his closest companion under the bus. And while God promises redemption for Adam and Eve, the defeat of Satan in Genesis 3.15, he also promises pain and misery as long as they walk the earth. Pain and childbearing, complications in the natural order of marital relationships and a cursed ground, no more paradise. Work which was meant to be joyous is now drudgery and difficulty. Adam and Eve are promised weariness, and loneliness, among other things, which often leads to more Adamic behavior, more blame shifting. 
Who's to blame for my problems? If you ask someone today, you'd get a variety of answers, I'm sure. Maybe it's the government. Maybe it's pastors and churches. Maybe it's schools. Maybe it's the doctors, as if it's been easy to be a doctor lately. We could go on. You can find someone who's ready to blame somebody. The bottom line is I don't see a lot of people imitating G.K. Chesterton. Do you know that story? The Times of London asked several prominent authors years ago to answer the question, What's wrong with the world today? And Chesterton, a devout Roman Catholic, supposedly replied with a one-sentence essay, Dear Sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. I am. I'm the problem. May not be the only problem, but I'm part of the problem. And I'm the only part of the problem that I can control. We want connection, and that's not bad. We're part of the problem, part of what is disconnecting ourselves from God and from others. But praise the Lord, the Bible doesn't end after Genesis 3. And that leads to our second point. Our Savior has comforted us so that we might comfort and connect to others, so that we might comfort and connect to others. You see it in 2 Corinthians 1. As Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden, God gave them many comforts, clothes, kids, promise of Christ to come. And after Christ came many years later, the apostle Paul wrote to this crazy church in Corinth. We'll look at 2 Corinthians 1 verses 3 and 4, where he says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God, this God of all comfort, he comforts us so that we may be able to comfort others who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. It's a tongue-twisting, soul-stirring passage. God's comfort allows you to comfort others. We're part of the problem, and we are also, by God's grace, part of the solution. You see, the Solution is not texting a link to this, uh, to this sermon to the friend who has wronged you. You've heard it before. Every sermon you hear is first and foremost for you. Connecting more. It's not about fixing other people. Connecting more, I believe, is about caring more. To connect, you must care. To care, you must know how much God cares for you. And you're going to notice, I'm going to use some words somewhat interchangeably today. You see, connecting is not quite the same as caring, but they're related. And caring is not quite the same as comforting, but they're related. To comfort someone, you have to care about them, right? And comforting is not exactly the same as encouraging, but encouraging one another, as our mission statement says, is a great way to build connections between yourselves and others. Amen? Oh, that's, that's weak, especially after last week when we talked about this. And while I am making a big ask of all of you, asking you to say amen and asking you to connect deeper, to care more, I don't want you to think I'm disappointed because this is a caring church. Perfect church, no. Who is? But a caring church, yes. Just this week, our 
joint session diaconate meeting, one of our elders thanked our deacons for helping him to shepherd the people on his shepherding list. It was a nice moment. And then someone else mentioned the way that several women in the church were caring for another member. To paraphrase 1 Thessalonians 4.10, you're doing it, but do it more and more. Excel still more, as the King James says. God is, actually, that's the New American Standard. Sorry about that. God has comforted us so that we might comfort others. You have done it. You are doing it. Keep doing it. Keep striving with all of Christ's energy, as Colossians 1 says. He's given us what we need to connect with and comfort others, including examples. That leads to our next point. Number three, our Savior has left us examples of comfort and connection. Now, first off, Christ is more than an example, but he's not less than an example. The Bible contains positive and negative examples. All of Christ's life is an example for us. First Peter 2, 21, especially his suffering. And then 1 Corinthians 10, 6 says, every story of those stupid, whiny Israelites, it's a negative example for us that we might not repeat those same mistakes. And if we do, and we probably will, then they're also an example of such a great salvation that we have in Christ our Savior. And out of that salvation that comforts miserable sinners like us, we long to obey. We long to bring peace into a world that doesn't know peace. We long to bring caring community to a world that lacks it, to be a Barnabas in the midst of a bleak world. You meet Barnabas in Acts chapter 4 when the early church is growing like a weed and weeding out liars like Ananias and Sapphira. And also sharing their goods in common. It's in Acts chapter 4 verses 34 to 37. It says there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph who was also called by the apostles Barnabas. Which means son of encouragement. A Levite, a native of Cyprus sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. In Jerusalem, this foreigner from Cyprus, he's so encouraging that he earns a nickname. Who, who calls him Joseph? Nobody that I know. We all know him as Barnabas, which meant son of encouragement. And why mention this? Why mention him? Because the world isn't full of Barnabases. It's full of bad tempers and more. Because I'm not naturally a Barnabas. I often look out for old number one for me. Because I usually don't think I'm part of the problem, even though I am. And because God has given me what I need to be a Barnabas. He's comforted me so that I might comfort anyone I meet with any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. If you're well-connected and know everyone in the church, God wants you to be a Barnabas, a son, a daughter of encouragement, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're introverted or extroverted. I mean, what's, what's stopping you from meeting one new person who might be lonely once a week? What's stopping you from speaking one encouraging per word to one person on a Sunday? Now, you might have legitimate obstacles to doing some of that. 
But maybe you can pray for better ideas as well. Dear Lord, help me be an encouragement for one person this morning. Try that and see. And if you're not well connected in the church, who thinks I'm going to just let you off? Anybody? Not quite. But yes, we do want to admit it can be hard to be new and not feel connected. I can remember being a, uh, I can remember going off to college. I went from a senior class of 42 to a freshman class of 4,000. That was a little different. But even if you aren't well connected in the church, I'm going to give you the same challenge because you have the same comfort and the same savior as well, don't you? I think God wants you to be a Barnabas, a son of encouragement. Story for you, I had breakfast with one of our longtime members recently, and he mentioned how many new people there are in the church, and he was happy about it. He was also, I think, intimidated by it and embarrassed that he didn't know everyone. Now, if you're new at Forest Gate, here's what I think most old-timers, long-time members would love for you to know. We are so thrilled that you want to be part of our church. And we are almost as nervous to meet you as you are to meet us. What do we say? How, how much do we say? How, how can we show our interest without coming on too strong? Now, it is not quite as awkward as a first date, but it's close. We want to say the right thing. We want to do the right thing. We don't want to do the wrong thing. We care. We're trying to figure out the best way to show it. And I actually think that goes both ways, new and old. And as a reminder to you, 50% of our adult commuting members have joined within the past five years. And those are not the easiest five years to settle into a new community. We all want to connect. And I think the easiest way to connect is to take the first step. Don't wait for someone to come and encourage you. You find a way to encourage others. You know, that's a good way to be remembered. It's a good way to form a connection with others. God has given us the comfort and the example that we need to do this. He's also given us a command to do this, which is our next point. Number four, our Savior has left us commands of comfort and connection. Sometimes we get nervous with the commands of Scripture. You know what I mean? We're so afraid of legalism that we, we avoid the legal requirements of Scripture altogether. Legalism, of course, is attempting to add anything to the finished work of Christ, attempting to trust that anything instead of Christ alone. And let's be clear, legalism is bad, but the law is not bad. The law of God is holy, it is righteous, it is good. It shows the way that God intended for humanity to live and to flourish. And his law shows us, as we've said many times, how to love God, how to love neighbor. For example, Galatians 6.10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And also from Romans 12.10, we read this one earlier, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another. It doesn't say outdo one another in self-righteousness, right? Touting my resume, whether it's my religious resume, my work resume, my Instagram resume. No, ever since the fall, ever since Genesis 3, you see, when we realize the shame of our sin, we need something to give us worth. 
And we usually look to the wrong things. We try to outdo one another at work, at school, the bank, the sports field, the beauty salon, the gym, a thousand other places. But if we know the deep, deep love and care and comfort of Jesus, then we don't need those other things anymore, do we? Those things that supposedly give us worth and acceptance. And that frees us up to outdo one another in showing honor, to make others feel worthy. Outdo one another. Outdo one another in kindness, in connecting, in caring, in comforting, in encouraging. Outdo one another in that, my friends. What would our church look like if that was our goal? You ever thought about that? If we said, I'm going to try to be the most encouraging person at Forest Gate. And not so that you can win the Barnabas Award and bolster that spiritual resume. Not so that you can feel like you've earned God's love. Newsflash, you can't earn it. But if we did that so that we could encourage a brother or sister in Christ. So that we could help them be more of what God has called them to be. What would we look like if that was our goal? Outdo one another. Care more about the body of Christ. Connect deeper. Stop waiting for someone to connect to you and focus on how you can connect with and care for and encourage others. Outdo one another in that. But Matt, you might be thinking we're a church full of perfectionists and achievers. Some of us are more prone to overcommit than undercommit. What if I outdo my limits? Now on one level, we need to remember that we always outdo our limits. We strive with all of Christ's energy, yet not I, but Christ in me. And also, as St. Augustine once said, Lord, command what you will, but grant what you command. Grant what you command. We need to pray like Augustine for sufficient grace. Sufficient grace for all that God prompts us to do. Sufficient grace to serve and sufficient grace to say no when we're at our limit. Sufficient grace to know what false guilt looks like and how to combat it. Sufficient grace to serve in his strength when the time comes. Our Savior in his infinite wisdom, as we talked about last week, he has commanded us to outdo one another in showing honor. And we need to trust that he will give us the strength to serve and or the self-control to say no. And if we're unsure, and pray that he might grant what he commands. All this leads to our final four, uh, excuse me, our final point. Our Savior has not left us without comfort. He's not left us without comfort. You see this all through the book of 2 Corinthians. He has left us with examples. He has left us with commands, but our God has not left us empty. And isn't that some of what we worry about? Or is that just me? I won't make you raise your hands. Certainly won't make you say amen, because I know you won't anyway. <laughs> Am I the only one who worries about this? Am I the only Martha who worries that nobody else is going to help me? Am I the only Naomi who worries that God is going to leave me empty? I mentioned this a few months ago. Back in early 2021, I preached the book of Ruth, and I realized, oh, I am not mighty Boaz. I am not even faithful Ruth. No, on my worst days, I am Naomi. God brought me back empty, lamenting my emptiness, assuming I'll always be empty. God is never going to refill my tank. And even if he does, 
He'll probably just take it away again. Now, of course, if you know that story, God kept pursuing Naomi in spite of herself, in spite of her negativity. He kept filling her up right until the final chapter when we see her as the happy grandmother with the whole community saying to her, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. Are you worried that God will let you wear yourself out? If you are, stay tuned for next week. I'm probably going to be talking about Kevin DeYoung's book, Crazy Busy, a book that's been a balm for my busy, weary soul over the years. Are you growing weary and well-doing? Are you gun-shy to commit and connect once again? Have you forgotten that God promises a reward to those who do not give up? Now, I don't necessarily want to make this about me any more than I already have, but people say they want their pastors to be vulnerable and transparent. So a few new members classes ago, I told the class, I've now been the pastor of Forest Gate long enough to see excited new members eventually become former members who need a fresh start. That's not fun. Frankly, I usually take it more personally than I should. So I told them something like this. I'm thinking about that and I don't want to because it hurts. So I face what Thabiti Anoweble talks about. I'm tempted to want to care less because then it might hurt less. But I know better. I know that the caring heart makes the pastor, even if the caring heart also almost kills the pastor. And I know that it's a wonder what God can do with a broken heart when he gets all the pieces. And the other thing is, I also know all the good stories more than I have time to tell this morning. People who trusted us with their hurts, their brokenness, and then began serving Christ's people. People who immediately left a membership interview to help me change my flat tire on a Sunday. That one's true. I've seen that Jesus is big enough for whatever hurts I've faced. And I know that he's big enough for whatever hurts you've faced as well. It was about a decade ago, my wife and I were leading a college Bible study. And one of our lessons was titled something like this. The church will let you down and it will build you back up as well. Do I want you to join a small group, a Bible study, connect with the body of Christ? Yes, I do. Our website, our staff, our officers are here to help you with that. But mostly, I want you to love the body of Christ. Because this glorious mess that we call the church, it is both God's gift to us and our responsibility. A gift to us to care for us. And a responsibility as well to serve the church and the people in it. Our doctrinal standards say this. Outside of the church, there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. And one of the church fathers said years ago, you cannot have God as your father and not have the church as your mother. Now, Corinth was a crazy church. If you don't believe me, just read 1 Corinthians sometime. But it was a crazy church. And Paul ministered to that crazy church in his second letter to them by reminding them time and time again of God's care, of God's comfort. Now, we may not be half as crazy as Corinth. I don't think we are. That's a good thing, right? I think it is. <clears throat> but if we're going to connect deeper, 
if we're going to care and encourage one another, risking disappointment and deeper hurts along the way, then we need to know that same love and care. We need to know the God of all comfort from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We need to know that we are not sufficient for these things, but that God makes us sufficient, as it says in chapters 2 and 3. We need to know that Paul did not lose heart because even though his outer self wasted away, his inner self was being renewed day by day, and his light momentary afflictions were preparing for him and for us an eternal weight of glory far outweighs them all. We need to know that today is always the day of salvation for those who turn to Christ, that we can be sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. We need to know that repentance leads to salvation without regret. You never regret salvation. We need to know that he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. We need to know that we can't outgive God that God has given to us an inexpressible gift, that even in the face of affliction and weakness, things that don't go away despite our pleading for them, we need to know that his grace is sufficient for me, for his power is made perfect in weakness. And at the end of it all, we need to know how Paul finished that second letter to the Corinthians. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. No matter what hurts you carry, God can restore your soul. He can fill your cup and let it overflow. I said at the beginning, God has given us all we need to connect with and comfort others. And he's also given us enough to fill us back up to comfort some more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God of all comfort. And if today is a day when we feel like we need every last bit of that comfort, oh, Father, would you show it, show it to us? God, if we, if we know it good and well and our cup is full, would you, help us, would you help us to serve others? Would you help us to comfort others? And Father, even if we do feel dry, would you help us to know that it's enough comfort to fill us up to the place where we can comfort others. God, we long to see your churches full, that all the chosen race may with one heart and soul and voice sing your redeeming grace. And Father, we pray that you would use us in that process, that we might be a means to comfort your people, to comfort those sheep who are not yet of this fold, that we might see that great and wondrous day. We pray all this in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.